Amos 5.24 declares, But let justice run down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream flowing abundantly. Welcome to Episode 5 of Iona Speaks About Defending Self-Justice, a platform used for us as women to hear how we can walk in our dominion through the power of voice and the strength of awareness. May this podcast bring hope through enlightenment for every listener on their journey to self-justice in Jesus' name. Previously, We have defined justice and spoke about the power of voice, the overactive thinker, and honoring family values. In this, our fifth episode, we will discuss how self-justice can be attained through raising an African-American and Native American son. Growing up in a predominantly white area of European descent, in a culturally aware family, Of the different stories told to me and those I specifically sought to learn about personally, the ones that stuck to me the most was the lynching of Emmett Lewis Till. When he was 14 years old, his mother reluctantly granted him permission to visit his extended family in Mississippi for a summer vacation because he was excited to do so. He was going to be with family and it's important to spend time with family. Yet in 1955, when he traveled to Money, Mississippi to stay with his grandparents and cousins, it was during the heightened time where Jim Crow laws ruled. While being in Mississippi for a short time, one day he traveled to a local country store with his cousins and friends and allegedly whistled at a woman of European descent. Three days later, he would be awakened by white men with guns and flashlights, forcibly taken out of his bed and taken down the road on the premise and promise to his grandfather of being taught a lesson, which was interpreted in those days as being whipped like an animal. This lesson that they thought they needed to teach this young teenager who wasn't familiar with their Southern ways or laws were all based on the accusations of one woman who would admit decades later were all false. Young Emmett would never return to the home of his grandfather alive. He was not only whipped, but brutally beaten to unrecognizability and lynched. Why? Because at the time, there were many who were of that dominant European race who hated many of the African-American race to the degree that they felt that they could do anything to us that they wanted to do just because of the color of our skin and the false perceptions that they had of us. And while everyone in Jim Crow South didn't feel this way, Their silence spoke volumes, and their ignorance didn't help. When the grossly mutilated body of Emmett Till was found in the river where he was intentionally discarded as unwanted trash, an investigation was initiated, and two of his murderers were arrested and indicted. Yet both of these men were acquitted of their charges, even though there was so much evidence displaying the brutality and inhumanity of this crime. Personally, I will never forget this story even as multiple other stories have occurred like this through the years, where an African-American or Native American child was murdered just because of their race and ethnicity, born out of fear and hatred, which is simply sin in the eyes of God. Emmett Till is not the only name that has experienced an untimely death at the hands of fear and racism for over 500 years since explorers from Europe settled upon a new world that had already been occupied later to be known as the nation that I would be raising my child in as the United States of America. 
Unfortunately, there have been many other names through the atrocities of massive Native American and African American genocides, as well as individuals such as Jason Perro, Paul Castaway, Corey Kanash, Benjamin Whiteshield, Zachary Bear Heels, Alan Loki, Amadou Diallo, an unarmed West African immigrant shot 41 times by four police officers who said that they feared for their lives. Michael Brown Jr., Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Freddie Gray, Eric Garner, Ahmaud Arbery, and recently George Floyd. While this podcast is focused on raising sons, there are concerns about raising daughters as well, which will be discussed in a later episode. As mentioned in the first episode, I was excited when I found out that I was having a child. I was even more elated, blessed, and honored to know that I was carrying a son. A son who would grow up to do great exploits like his favorite African-American learned about so far, Dr. Charles Drew, a scientist, researcher, and surgeon who successfully facilitated and developed a greater method for blood transfusions and blood storage that would be the catalyst of saving countless lives. A son who will learn to know who he is, and grow into the man of position that God created him to be because he is a child of a king. A son who will form relationships that will enhance his knowledge of who he is through his familia, educational, and spiritual structures. A son who will not let anyone define who he is supposed to be because he will be unique and will remember that Yahweh, the creator of this universe, specifically knows him by name that will be intrinsically supported through the teachings by his parents. A son who will know that as he goes through life, where some people will want to place labels upon him to describe his look, his character, his personality, his physique, and his intelligence, just because of his race and ethnicity, will not ascribe to any of those labels that don't define his worth and value. As an African-American and Native American mother, I promised myself to remind myself that even though this world might not always be for my son, God would. Our nation was not founded on principles of agape love, which was clearly detailed through scriptures where the love of God is described as being unconditional, unwavering, unprejudicial, undiscriminatory, and completely unfallible. However, our nation was founded on sin demonstrated through one race seeing themselves more dominant than other races, fueled by greed and executed through hatred, provoked by unwarranted fear. What do you do when a school system doesn't see the greatness in your son that you do and wants to alter his developmental expression to fit the design they have for him? You teach that school system who he is and have them partner with you on utilizing educational strategies that best fit his style of learning. You teach him who he is so he can be strengthened in his identity. And if his learning is still being compromised, you look for additional resources and actively search for the right educational fit for him. What do you do when adults want to label your son? You let them know who your son is and that he cannot be compared to anyone because he is uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully created. What do you do when the world threatens the existence of your son? 
You teach your son his value and his worth and how to strategically make his voice heard for his benefit and for the betterment of others, while always being respectful even when others might not be. What do you do when he feels discouraged or frustrated by the narrative he sees displayed before him in life? You encourage him and surround him with a community of positive influencers who will also encourage him to be a support for him. You are your son's best advocate. We as women and mothers of African and Native American sons in the 21st century execute our self-justice by teaching our sons about their heritage, the history of our nation, and their destiny in Christ. We execute self-justice by showing and demonstrating to our children the value of their worth as creations by God with a purpose in this world. We execute self-justice by standing up for our sons when falsely accused of acts they didn't commit when others don't and won't. We execute self-justice when others don't recognize the value and worth of our sons, speak against them, and neglect to see who they are. We execute self-justice with our prayers of intercession through the understanding that we are partners with God to raise our sons with excellence in this world and not only teach them about other pioneers of this nation who look like them, but surround them with a community of positive influences. Mrs. Mamie Till Mobley executed self-justice for herself when her son was kidnapped and heinously murdered because she never stopped fighting for her son. She never stopped speaking against the injustices served to her son, and she never stopped living a life sharing who her son really was, even though his two murderers were never convicted in a court of law. Isaiah 51.4 declares, Listen carefully to me, says the Lord. O my people, and hear me, O my nation, for a divine law will go forth from me, and I will quickly establish my justice as a light to the peoples. The greatest justice we have is the justice of God, shown to us through his love by giving to us his greatest light, his only Son, Jesus Christ. There are times when justice isn't enacted by the legal processes for those disproportionately represented. However, justice was developed to protect all citizens. So when it doesn't feel that this is happening, it doesn't absolve the responsibility of us defending self-justice for ourselves and for our children. As we conclude this episode, I trust that every woman and mother listening be empowered to walk in their dominion as they realize that there is value in their life through all of their experiences so that they can become the defenders of self-justice for themselves. Thank you for listening to Iona Speaks about defending self-justice and have a prosperous and powerful week.